Broadcasting from USA Swimming's headquarters at the Carolyn Dirks Building in Colorado Springs, Colorado, it's time for Kick Set. Join three-time Olympian Elizabeth Beisel and U.S. National Team Director of Performance Matt Barbini as they host members from the USA Swimming community, ranging from age group to Olympic levels of the sport. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Kickset Podcast. My name is Matt Barbini. I'm the Director of Performance for the USA Swimming National Team, and joining me as always, fresh back from the Dominican Republic, like yesterday, is three-time Olympian Elizabeth Beisel with a tan that all of us in November can be jealous of. Beisel, how are you? How was the trip? Oh, it was so great. I'm great, Barbini. Thanks for asking. Um, trip was awesome. I am the new spokesperson for the Dominican Republic because it is such an amazing place. Um, everybody is so kind. Um, and for those of you that are listening that kind of know the surfing world, the lineup there is super friendly. It's not territorial. It's not intimidating. Um, kind of everybody is there just to have a good time. And so it's, it's nice for me to kind of channel my athlete into a new sport like surfing. Um, and I really enjoyed that. So I'm, I am now traveling because I needed to catch up to you, Barbini, because you traveled 100,000% of the summer. So how has it been for you to kind of like settle back into more of a routine and a normal schedule? I'm sure that's very nice for you and yeah. the family. Yeah. So it turns out I have a house here. I had kind of forgotten that it, where it was, but there is one in Colorado, uh, which is great. Um, no, the fall has been good. We, you know, we travel a little bit less, but, um, as you know, we, you know, everything with COVID got messed up as far as our like hands-on service with athletes. So we've actually been out on the road a little bit. Um, we hired two new performance staff that were kind of training up out in the field. So we've been doing club visits again, which has been awesome. We haven't had that like hands-on, um, in your home environment contact with coaches and athletes in like, you know, two and a half years. So it's been awesome to be reconnecting with people like that. You just get such a different view of people's approach and their culture and all that, um, when you're actually at their pool. So we've done some of that. And then, um, obviously we've got some, a whole bunch of exciting events coming up that will put us back on the road, but it's still, you know, everything that's shorter than a three week world championship trips feels relatively easy. So going to the Indy world cup, which is next week, which will be super exciting to have a world cup, um, on us soil, then goggles, and then the U S open and then short course world. So it has been nice to be home for this little bit because it will not stay that way as we right. get back You're taking into this it while season. you can question exactly yeah has there ever been a world cup on u.s soil before there has but it's been a long time i believe okay. the last one that we had was in 2009 so it's been a really long time oh, since we've had one that's right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. oh that's exciting yeah. yes many exciting yeah. things to look forward to including the guest of today's podcast who as always barbini i will let you introduce and embarrass because they are amazing i will we will embarrass her as much as we possibly can. So today's guest um, is a repeat guest. I guess our only our second one. She was on uh, back a few years ago when Dan McCarthy was still steering the, the Kickset podcast ship. Um, her name is Kathy Rindle, and she is the head coach and founder of Performance Aquatics in Boca Raton, Florida. Um, interesting club setup. They only coach athletes that are 13 and over and have a pretty rigorous uh, vetting process for bringing those athletes into their team with a focus on small group coaching technique. Um, as a technique guy, I really appreciate that approach. That is very much it with high performance uh, realm. So it's a really cool setup. Um, and she's coached athletes uh, at just about every level, you know, from sort of junior team and junior uh, Olympic level, all the way through zones to Olympic trials and beyond. Um, pretty much all levels of the sport have passed through there. She's also a member of our board of directors, um, and I, having been in some board of directors meetings with her there, um, she adds awesome insight. We were doing a post-Olympic presentation and asked really good questions and uh, really added a lot of value to that. Um, she also has, uh, in her past, more than a decade of experience in New York City's fashion industry, which is a very unique experience base for a coach, um, especially since she was doing both at the same time. But most importantly, and the reason that we brought her on, um, she was a coach at a couple of 
weeks ago at the boys national select camp that was here at the OPTC in Colorado Springs. And uh, so we really wanted to kind of focus in on that level of our developmental pipeline and talk about what that camp means and the value of it for the athletes and the coaches that get to attend. Um, so with that, hoping that I have thoroughly embarrassed her, let's bring uh, Kathleen onto the podcast. Kathleen, welcome. Thank you for making your second appearance. Well, thank you guys both for having me. And that is embarrassing. Do you do that to everybody? And you just sort of dig into their stuff? Everybody. And- Every it's our person. job. Yeah. No. It's okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we, 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 can't, uh, we can't assume everybody knows how awesome all our guests are. So we have to make sure that, that we, uh, <laughs> yeah. we pump them up as much as you can and get everybody's face as red as mine usually yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't need to put any blush on at all. <laughs> That's okay. We're audio here. No worries. Oh, right, right, right. right. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> Kathleen, I am actually a product of the National Select Camp. That was my first exposure to USA Swimming, the OPTC, all of those amazing things um, that we offer our athletes. For you as a coach there, how excited were you to be a part of that? And can you kind of describe the outline of that camp and what you guys did on a day-to-day basis? Well, um, the first thing is, how did I feel about it? I, I, you couldn't wipe the smile off my face if you tried, like if you had a baseball glove, you couldn't wipe it off my face. I still probably haven't stopped smiling at all. Um, since then, um, it was, it was a huge honor and, um, and a privilege and an amazing learning experience um, to be part of a, that camp staff. Um, and hopefully it was equally um, an equally good learning experience for the athletes as well. Um, I remember the, the first meeting, we, all of our pre-meetings were via Zoom, et cetera. So we're sitting in the very first Zoom meeting um, and they, they, meaning USA Swimming staff that so beautifully runs these camps for us and gives us directions said very clearly, the purpose of this camp is not to see how much yardage you can get in. The purpose of this camp is to introduce our next level of athletes to what Team USA means to us and what our culture is. And that point just hit home. And so that became kind of our North Star. Um, Certainly, we worked hard physically. We worked hard in the pool. We worked hard in the classroom. But um, really showing our next generation athletes um, who we are, who to- Team USA is, what, what, what we're all about, what our values are, um, what our character looks like. Um, that was the most important thing for us as a staff that we wanted to impart to these athletes, hopefully provide some inspiration and some motivation um, because this is, this is a big camp. Um, and you, you'd be able to talk, Matt, probably better than I, but that, you know, we, we talk about Team USA and we talk about um, our Olympic team and Elizabeth and, and these amazing athletes. But to your point, how, how did they get there? There's, there's this whole we are one team goes a lot further than just our 52 athletes that compete in the games, even though that is obviously um, one of the most important things about, about what we do. But how do we get there? How do we develop athletes um, emotionally, mentally, physically to the point where they're ready to take on a challenge like that? And that's where this camp falls. Um, and we have our local we have our LSC camps. We have our teams go on training trips and do training camps. Then we have LSC camps. Then we have our zone camps. Um, all of those are so valuable and important to start to impart this idea of we are one team, Team USA. And then I feel, I feel, and now my own opinion, is that the National Select Camp is kind of the pinnacle of our, I guess, developmental camp system because the next step after National Select Camp is the national junior team and the national team. I think um, Eric mentioned to us, um, our new national junior team director mentioned to us in one of his talks that I think 33% of athletes sitting in that room at that national select camp will make our national junior team. And of those, we have future Olympians literally sitting in that room. So showing those athletes what's so cool about that and what's so important about that and that it's not a given and there is a lot of work involved, a lot of education involved, but we can do it all together as one team and do it in a positive, exciting, energetic way. Um, I think that was that's kind of a long answer, but that's kind of what, what we wanted to, to give for this camp. Yeah. So those, those numbers that you mentioned are, 
almost dead on accurate. So it is, oh, it is crazy. So when you, when you think about, um, kind of our system as a whole 0.07% of all of our members will ever get into the national team system at all. So in that would be making the junior team, making the national team qualifying for an international competition team, um, any of those levels of the national team system. So for a room to have 33% of that room pass on to the national junior team is a, is a crazy conversion rate that doesn't really exist anywhere else in the country um, or in our system. And if you kind of go year by year through it, it's somewhere between one and two athletes that are on that select camp roster will make an Olympic team. So it is a that, and there are very, very few places where that is actually true. But I think what I when struck by most in what you were saying is the cultural aspect, because we think a lot, lot about the culture of the national team. And I think one of the things that we is a challenge for us in the national team is that we are sort of the stewards of the culture of the national team, but culture is athlete driven and it's athlete maintained. And it's, we sort of have to just kind of keep the guardrails around it. So can you talk a little bit about like the particular culture and the items of in the culture that you tried to impart to these athletes? Like what, what was the message? Like what were the things that you wanted them to take away from the camp or that the staff wanted them to take away from this camp? Well, um, yes, I can totally talk about that because we talk as a staff, we prepared that, um, we gave a lot of thought to that. And then we reinforced that message with our staff. Uh, we had a wonderful staff, uh, seven total. Um, and just, just everybody bought into what we were trying to accomplish at this particular camp. Um, and I think that's part of it. Like you said, you don't just show up on the national team one day and be expected to understand what our culture is. It's sort of, it's like an education as you're growing up through there. Uh, We really wanted to, and I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget, um, the athlete development model that we're all familiar with um, talks about the four C's. And that's another thing that became a North Star for us. So, you know, as we're developing athletes in through the USA swimming system from at whatever level they are, we talk about character, competence, confidence, and connection. Um, And so those were kind of the four C's that we used as a staff to say, these are the things, every activity, everything that we do is gonna be emphasizing, if not all four, at least one of the four of those things. Um, And so that really helped us, I guess, hone in or focus in on our itinerary and what we wanted to teach them. Cause you only really have what, three and a half days with these people. Um, I kind of added two more seeds of my own. One is championship lifestyle, kind of introducing that idea. Um, and Elizabeth, you, you know, all about that, you know, and, and what the other seed that I threw in there is about choices. So your choices will impact whether or not you're living this championship lifestyle. And, and all of these things are tied together. So we like alliteration. <laughs> apparently on my team, they do. And apparently at USA Swimming, we do too. So all of these C's really were guiding us. But the overall thing is showing them this is who we are. This is, this is what Team USA looks like. These are some of the people that you'll encounter. This is the environment. Um, you know, as a head coach of a club, and, and, and learning how to do that, you know, I was taught a hundred times, culture is the most important thing. Culture is the most important thing. And it's the truth. And I've seen it at every level. If you, if you hire a coach that isn't a good fit for your program, you know, immediately, if you have an athlete in your training group that isn't um, buying into your culture that can damage your culture. And it doesn't have to be, it doesn't matter if you're a small team or a big team or whatever size team you are, it just takes one person to be that bad apple, if you will, that doesn't um, buy in. So if I could get all 51 boys from 50 different states with 50 different training programs to buy in to what we are doing here at Team USA, then I felt like that was the big win for our staff. The second overarching goal uh, was let's have a great camp with with people be, being on their best behavior and valuing 
um, you know, the core values and the code of conduct. And we we talked a lot about that too, is the code. And when you travel, you're being on code. Um, and so introducing them to the idea of this is what the code is. This is why we have it. It is to protect you as athletes. It's to protect our, our country. It's to protect our, our staff um, and to really show who we are, um, I guess, as Americans when we travel overseas. And so that was another one of our main messages. Um, so showing them who we are, really helping them understand these four C's um, and using that as our North Star, um, showing them what the code of conduct is. And then another thing that we really pushed was giving a, an environment for connection because these boys um, are, you know, they're typically probably the fastest ones in their club. They might be the fastest ones in their LSC that, you know, being competitive people, they like to race and do things with other people of like abilities. And sometimes that's available and sometimes it's not. So to give them an opportunity to just be in a space together and learn that there's other people like me that, hey, that guy does my event. Hey, uh, oh boy, you have to train 400 IM also, whatever. Then that gives them strength, I think. And the hope it, from, from our staff and also from um, everybody at headquarters and at Team USA is that that those connections made will will carry them through some difficult times and they'll see each other on the pull deck in three years and go, oh, my gosh, I met you at camp. Maybe they'll make junior team together. Maybe they, maybe they'll make a trip together. And now they've got people. And that's really what we need in life. Right. Is our people. Yeah, that's it's the truest thing is the people on the pool deck and the connections that you make. Um, I'm going to. I'm going to like piggyback on this C thing and ask you about the classroom. Um, because I know that another C, another C, another, exactly. I was like, this is perfect. So when I went to national select camp and this was in 2004, I believe. Oh, so a minute little ago, Elizabeth. little Elizabeth before iPhones, before like really filming was around. I remember one of the most impactful things for me was sitting in the classroom with the high performance team and watching underwater footage of Aaron Pearsall swimming backstroke and Natalie Coughlin kicking underwater. Can you talk about what the classroom sessions were like and what the biggest takeaway from that you think was for the athletes who are maybe seeing something for a from a different perspective that they've never seen like I had back in 2004? Yeah, so the classroom has changed since you did your national select camp. Uh, we're lucky now. Probably it's, a good thing, right? <laughs> yeah, it's really nice, and it's yeah. it's um it's it's in the same building as the pool, which makes it very easy from a scheduling perspective. Um, it's called the honor room, which can, talks again to our to our culture. Um, there were USA Swimming has you know obviously been putting these camps on for decades, and so over the course of all this time, they have really perfected. Um, you know, it's kind of like a, what do they say? Drinking from a fire hose kind of a situation where they just throw as much as they can uh, in a realistic way um, at these athletes. The, the biggest uh, challenge from a classroom perspective was having enough snacks to keep everybody awake, focused. Um, but topics ranged from, and I wish I brought my itinerary with me here, but topics ranged from nutrition, mental health, um, a, a lot of emphasis on DEI. Uh, we talked about, uh, Eric came in, talked about national junior team, uh, every topic. And, and to your point, you can't learn everything there is to learn, but at least you can be introduced to these ideas. Some of the most impactful um, things for the, for the boys camp, for our boys, when we asked them about it, interestingly enough, um, was nutrition. And I thought that that was really cool. They were, they were, they were, they just, this was a very special group of young men, I will say, they were engaged in everything. So there's nothing that they were sort of out of touch with. They were asking questions, interested in, in everything, whether it be the classroom or the pool or the mealtime or whatever. Um, but nutrition was a big topic. Another thing that was really cool was, um, and many thanks and shout out here, uh, Carson Foster did a little video for them. So I stood up to do sort of an intro, you know, this is what it's all about. And I just said, just watch this. This will be easier for you to understand. And he gave them some advice on what to expect and, and what to do and take a lot of notes and pay attention and ask a lot of questions and soak it all in, this kind of thing. That was very powerful. Um, 
one of the most powerful things that happened in the classroom um, was one of our national junior team athletes, Josh Parent, came and spoke to the group on their final day. Well, this guy is amazing. He was amazing. And uh, he really, I think, I think, looking at all, judging by all their faces and how they responded, um, completely inspired this next generation group of, of young men and was extremely passionate about what these camps have given him and what he has learned in the classroom and sort of gave them all a reminder to uh, to really take this classroom stuff and take it all to heart. Um, a, another one was um, they there was a, a nice talk about um, sort of mental health and preparing and, and how to be prepared mentally for races. There was a lot of engagement there, I think, um, especially after being locked in for a pandemic um, where we're, we're I guess the upside of that is that maybe we're a little bit more in tune now with the mental side and how important that is um, to developing athletes. Uh, so the classroom became um, a, a really important piece of it. And the the wonderful thing about the camp that USA Swimming puts together is that they um, have a great way of balancing, um, well, in my life, I call it the hassle to fun ratio where you're like, you know, something you have to do versus something you want to do. So uh, they made it so that the classroom wasn't something they had to do. It was something they wanted to do. So there was lots of fun things, lots of physical activity, la, la, la. But then there was also they were looking forward to the point of sitting there and actually learning so something formally. So did that answer your question? Probably more than you yes, wanted to know. Yes, with, with amazing <laughs> colors. <laughs> No, that that is a great. I mean, we talk about these camps, and we we often think of them, or the perception of them is that they are sort of training based. And you mentioned that right at the beginning that that's not the point, especially because you really can't do a training camp at altitude in three and a half days. There's there's almost no benefit to that. You can really only just make yourself tired, and possibly send people home sick, which we have done before when we've like had junior team camps where people have swum way too much. And yeah, we've we've definitely learned those lessons. Um, but one of the main benefits aside from the, uh, some of the, the physical stuff is what athletes take home with them. But I think that also applies to coaches. So as you reflect on that experience from a couple of weeks ago, now, what did you take home as a coach from the experience of being at select camp, either from the athletes or the staff or the, the, the educational opportunities? So, um, well, I'll tell a quick story if I may, um, you know, again, you're hundred percent right from a physiological perspective, three and a half days, five work, they got five workouts. So five workouts at altitude um, is not gonna do anything for anybody. Uh, we need three weeks versus three days, you know? And, and in addition, um, talking about coaching and coaches, the home coaches, we really put a pretty, um, our staff really added a lot to, there's a home coach survey that goes out so that we can learn a little bit about each athlete before they get there. Um, and we really added a lot of pretty in-depth training questions to that survey so that we could really develop workouts for these athletes that were hundred percent appropriate. But these are 51 young men coming together from all over the country. Um, and there were certain things that really showed up as um, a theme or a trend. And one was literally none of them had trained at altitude. One boy spent a week at altitude with his grandparents and swam a few times. And literally that was it. So we knew that we had to do a lot of um, acclimatizing to this altitude before we could even get into anything that was remotely considered a set or a workout. Um, and the, the, this brings me to my story. So day one, we did um, we did our things. I started to establish a couple little traditions. Again, um, some of them were my own little quirky things that I like on a pool deck, but establishing the idea that this is the this is the code. We follow this code. I don't care if you like it or not. We follow this. Um, but we did do um, five 200 social kick at the end, not physically taxing, but it was an opportunity for these young men's men to you know, spend a little time talking while, and of course, talking while swimming, we know is good. Um, so then that was the afternoon, the very first practice in the afternoon practice. And then we get to the dining hall and all the home coaches were there and we got hazed because that's a ridiculous thing. That's what you do in your, what are you doing? We want to see some sets. And uh, <laughs> so it was actually really funny. And I'm like, okay, please don't haze us. This was, you know, you have to understand <laughs> we'll get to harder things. We just need to get through this. So that was really funny. But um, yeah, so the 
what I didn't realize um, and learned a lot about was that the, the home coaches get to go through this national select camp experience as well. Um, there's obviously, they're not doing any training in the pool, um, but they're in the classroom for the entire time. They're mostly separated from their, their home athletes. Uh, we see one another in the dining hall um, and that's literally it. Um, so meal times, but they were, they, their track mirrored ours. So if we learned about nutrition at 10 a.m., they were probably learning about nutrition at 11 a.m. And so that, that, so that, and that's great because then when those kids went home with those coaches, they had probably had a lot to talk about a lot that the coach might decide to incorporate into their own program or to their own training style. Um, so that was a really neat thing um, to observe and to see that USA Swimming is is not only educating our athletes of the future, but our coaches of the future. And I think that's obviously one of the keys to continued performance success is to give coaches the tools they need. I will say, and I'm you know, diverging from the question a little bit, but I just wanna note, um, it just sort of brings home the point that, um, you know, I used this expression in a podcast once and it shocked people, but I'm gonna use it again, because I'm from, rural Pennsylvania. And we say there's more than one way to skin a cat. And I don't know if that's politically correct to say, but it's true because these 51 kids are all trained with a complete some, you know, obviously we've got some distance kids, some mid D kids, some sprint kids, fine. But I'm talking about training style. The first day I said, okay, who uses, you know, by show of hands, who uses energy systems? Couple kids. Who uses percentage effort? Couple kids. Who uses color? Donner Banchek's colors. Who uses slow, medium, and fast? Who uses, oh, there was a few more, um, I don't know, points off your best time or whatever. And they're all looking at me and most of them had never realized that we're all, we're all saying the same thing. We might be using 10 different languages to say the same thing, but it's all the same. And that was part of the point of the connection of the camp is, is showing them that um, that that coaches uh, we we all do things a little differently, but our goals are all the same to try to to try to get the best out of out of our athletes. So that was pretty cool, but really drove the point home um, not only to the athletes but to us as a staff about um, the diversity that exists in our country in 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 how we train and what we prioritize, and that you can really it's true you can achieve success. These are the top fifty one boys in the country. Um, you can achieve success 51 different ways. Um, and there's, it's just whatever's best for that individual athlete in that individual program. So that was pretty cool. So that was, that was something that I, I already knew that, but it was really nice to see it come to life. Um, I, did that answer your question? I started went off on a tangent there. Sorry. <laughs> no, that's great. Because I think we, when we talk about our system, we're so unique. It, um, just the way that our developmental system works. Yeah. It's so decentralized. So compared to any other country or really any other sport, even in the U S the, the level of decentralization is, is just, is a, such a huge advantage for us because it's exactly what you just said. There are far more than 51 approaches that people can take and still find success. And that's, I think still the heart of what makes our, our eventual Olympic teams and world championship teams so good is that every athlete and every coach has the ability and the autonomy to develop, um, whichever way, you know, suits them best. And I think that, that for us is just critical. So that's, I I'm thrilled that you noted that because I, I think I talk about that all the time, maybe <laughs> too much. <laughs> that's, great. Yeah. that's great. Um, Kathleen, you talk about how there's more than one way to skin a cat. For you, your way to skin a cat. When it comes to the mental side of swimming, which I am so intrigued by, because you're not going to achieve high performance without being strong mentally. And yeah. I think that goes hand in hand with what you were saying earlier is, you know, we're here for three and a half days. We're not going to get better by doing five really hard workouts. Like we're going to get better now because of the time that we're spending in the classroom. What would you say is, are some of the most important tips and tools that you give to your athletes as a coach to help them work on strengthening the mental side of swimming, how to deal with stress and anxiety and nerves before a race or getting through a plateau? Um, because I think like, as you said as well, through COVID, I think we did tap into that more so than we ever had before, but still have a long way to go. Yeah. 
Agreed. And don't you wish that when you were in the height of your swimming career, that this was a bigger part of the conversation? I mean, yeah. I mean, I remember in 2008, we didn't even have a sports psych on the Olympic team. It wasn't until 2012. So it's, we're getting there, but you know, it, it takes time obviously. So I'm just curious as to, you know, what your experience is and how you help your athletes. Well, um, so we use, we've been using visualization for a very long time um, and uh, a little bit of meditation, but it needs to be, we, we participated in a study from Sweden a couple, well, probably 10 years ago now as a team uh, where they wanted to study the effects of meditation on athletes. Um, and boy, talk about buying in. That was tough to get the athletes to buy in because imagine as an athlete in the height of your training, you have to lie still and like lie on the pool deck perfectly still and think for a while. And that was really tough. We actually had to, uh, we, the people that did the study actually had to modify the study so that there was um, some more consistent movement throughout because it was very difficult to learn um, for these, you know, the older older teenagers or newer postgrads at that phase of their life to all of a sudden now I have, to, I have to lie still and what do you want me to be still? You know, so that was, that was the stillness part. But if you lean into that stillness, um, you find things, you learn things about yourself, about others. Um, and I think you find your strength there sometimes. So for us, uh, we did, we did some new agey things like that. Um, and, but visualization has always been very important. We tried tapping. Do you guys know about the tapping? There's a theory that you can calm your emotions, you know, you know, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a huge fan of tapping. Yeah. Yeah, it's cool. So like all these, anything that we could do that could just, but speak of tapping, it's really just tapping into your own, what's going on in your brain. Um, a couple of years ago, I said to someone, this is the, this is the last frontier of swimming. They're always like, oh, how are we going to go this and hundred free? And how are we going to do this? And how are we going to get faster? And what can the human body do? Well, really the way to get there is to be up here in your head. Um, so the fact that that's part of our national select camp, um, curriculum is huge. And Elizabeth, when you're asking your question, I left my chair for a minute because I went to get my notes because we had a mental health professional, Sean McCann come and talk to the boys. And I, I took so many notes that, um, so you asked me what I do, that's what I do, but what I'm going to (laughs) do is, um, some of the stuff that that Sean talked about and, and what I, I just wrote down, um, a couple things. He said to the boys, you're too good to have to feel comfortable to swim well. So meaning this, and we, we've talked about that for years about how no situation is perfect and you know, no meat is perfect. Something's going to go wrong, but putting it that way was kind of inspiring. I thought you're too comfortable. You're too good to have to feel comfortable. Like nobody needs to pave the way for you and make you all happy before you swim fast. You have the ability to do that. So that was powerful. Um, the other, the other, there was lots of powerful things. Um, but, uh, it talked about getting in the zone, which is another sort of mental health thing that we talk about with our high performance athletes. Um, and, and Sean McCann put it better than I ever have. And he said, it's when your skill set matches your challenge. So that's when you're in the zone. And that, and I was like, oh yes, it is. Of course. Why didn't I think of that? So stuff like that was really cool. Um, and having now people that can talk about it and, and phrase it and verbalize it in a way that's a little more, um, eloquent and succinct than I know I could. And I know other coaches same, um, is going to be really helpful for our next generation of athletes, I think. Yeah. For those that don't know, Sean McCann is the primary USOPC sports psych that works with swimming. And he has been with us since um, following the Rio game. So for a long time now, and he's he's really been a like a key cog in the service that we provide and has really moved us forward a great deal in uh, our mental health approach and, and just being more intentional about it. He travels with all of our, our Operation Gold teams. He sometimes comes on secondary meets as well. Uh, he, nobody has worked more with swimming than he has in the last few years. And his approach is, is so integral to what we do. Um, and it's also, I think, that just reflects kind of how important that we see this is, and like Basil referred to the expansion of mental health as a part of performance that he's now speaking to the next generation of athletes, just getting that, that started earlier and 
you know, waiting until we think previously some of our approach was like, well, it was more triage, like something goes wrong at a competition and there's somebody there that you can talk to. We really want to get in front of those things. So having Sean be able to impart that stuff to, to that group is awesome. Um, we want to be respectful of your time, Kathleen. So I think we should jump ahead to social kick. Basil, does that work for you? That sounds great. Although I'm sad oh, that we're already at social right. kick. I could talk to Kathleen forever. I know, man. Um, so Kathleen, social kick is a, uh, a little segment that we do. These are questions that are generated um, via social media from people that listen to the podcast or follow us on Instagram. Um, so these are from athletes, coaches, or uh, just folks that had questions for you. Um, so I, I really like this first one because I think it's, it's challenging, but also illuminating. It's from Kathleen F. What is your favorite thing about being a coach? Oh, oh, well, what's not my favorite thing? Um, my favorite thing about being a coach is being able, it's an honor to participate in the upbringing of a human being. It is an honor to, to I feel that the coach's role is, is, um, is very important because you can, you can be an adult um, model uh, in a young person's life and you can be an authority figure without being the authority figure. So growing up, we all needed someone, whether it was an aunt or an uncle or a babysitter or a friend or a coach who, who, you, who you know and you trust to help, you, to help guide you and make the right decisions. Um, but that isn't your mom or your dad or your caregiver uh, because they're not going to, you, you know, you, you feel a little freer to express yourself. So my favorite part is being able to participate um, in that part of an upbringing. But my other favorite part is when swimmers come back. So my favorite thing in the world is when swimmers keep in touch and, and call me to make a decision about a job change or, hey, I'm going to marry this girl. I'd like to, you know, I'd like you to meet her. Can we go to lunch and meet, you know, the, this to me is, is um, the best part about being a coach. That's great. I should have called a coach before I got married. Could have gotten a lunch out of it. All right. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, Ava P. Any tips on how to get a college recruiter to notice you, especially for your dream school? Um, yeah. I mean, you need to, you need to be open-minded in your college search, you need to, um, I always tell kids I need them to make a list of 40 schools that they would consider attending and they go 40, ah, but really 40 quickly becomes 20 and that quickly becomes 10. And now you're down to five and you get five visits. So um, I think part one is don't get too zoned in on like I dreamed of going, well, I went to Penn State and I, in my whole family bleeds blue and white. And so there was really never a question of where I was going to go. Um, but I did have a secret fantasy of going to um, Cal Berkeley. Um, and, um, but that I, you know, we all have that school that's sort of like, wow, that would be really cool um, at the time. And I didn't even apply because of course, Penn State was my choice, but, but you, don't get sto so stuck on a school like I did, but I was happy with my choice, uh, that you can't see what else is out there. Sometimes and very often you will end up at a school um, that you never even, wasn't even on your radar. And then um, on the flip side of that, and and Beisel, you, you know um, some of these examples because um, we have mutual friends, but people that get so set on a school even though this, the swimming program might not be the best match for them. Um, and they just insist this is what they're doing. And then they go and end up being a little bit unhappy. So I think that that's the, the flip side. Um, but to get them to notice you, you need to start writing to them, start sending emails, write letters. Um, I'm, I'm a club coach, not a college coach, but I can, I can say with certainty that college coaches are looking for athletes that continue to improve. So uh, wherever, wherever your times are, a, a coach would really like to see, I went from this time to this time last season, I'm working towards this time now. They don't wanna see that you peaked at 14 and haven't done anything since. So uh, just reaching out and communicating and don't have your feelings hurt if you um, don't hear a response because coaches are so overwhelmed. Uh, the, good, the good ones will read every email. They might not respond to every email, but they're gonna read every email. 
Um, there's always a few that might not, but for the most part, just put yourself out there. That's really the only thing you can do. The other advice, and then I'll let you move on, but the other advice is um, please make sure that this kind of reaching out and correspondence is coming from you as the athlete, um, not your mom, not your dad, not your grandma, not your babysitter. It needs to come from you. Coaches want you to be accountable for your sport um, and tend to be dismissive if there's communication coming from someone other than the athlete. That's great advice. We, I think you, it's such a complex process for athletes, especially depending on sort of where they're coming from and, and what level they're at. And so being able to focus that down. And I love that last piece of advice. You kind of need to own the process of your yeah. own recruitment. Go ahead. Yeah. Yep. And can I throw one other thing in there? Of course, there, please. You can swim in college. You can swim in yeah. college. Everybody can. You don't have to be a D1 uh, ridiculously world ranked person, those people will swim in college too. But there is, there are colleges, there are programs for everyone and you just have to find one. So there's what, seven, over 700 college programs um, in the yeah. US. And there, I promise there is a program for you out there. You just have to do the work to find it. I, I could not co-sign on that more strongly. I completely agree with that. Um, as someone who was not a very good swimmer and swam through college, it was the best thing I did. I think it, it had so many benefits outside of the pool, um, and has led me to be where I am right now. Like I always, not just swimming, like I, in any sport where you have the opportunity to play beyond high school, it's like, I encourage everybody to play if you can, like, it's always better to play than to not play in my, in my view. Um, all right, two more. What is your favorite event and or stroke? That's from Jillian P. Oh, I love I them. A tough one. <laughs> I, I, and it's like, a, it's like a parent saying, I love all my children equally. And I do though, I love them all. I would have to say though, um, I'm a, I'm a middle distance person. I love to coach middle distance. I love to, um, I, now I was a sprinter, so I, I didn't, I'm not saying I like to race middle distance, but um, I just, I love them all. I think long course 200 IM is one of the most beautiful events you can watch. I think it's, um, it's just, it, it's beautiful in that it brings, it brings us all into the sport. We cannot, we get a little taste. Um, I think the 200 freestyle is one of my favorites because it's a, it's a sprint now these days. It's not no longer a mid D event, but it's a sprint, but it's a strategic sprint. And there's a lot to be done there. And there's a lot of things you can do and a lot of ways to do it. Um, I will say, uh, so I would say if I, it, it's not fair to, to, to pick a favorite cause I, I literally love them all. Um, but I think if I, if I had to, I'd say 200 IM, 200 free. Even though my entire uh, post-grad group is all sprinters, 100% 50 sprinters. Uh, so I do love coaching a sprint, but um, I would have to say the mid-D is where my heart is. All right. That's a good answer. Jillian P. put you on the spot there and made you Yeah, pick, thanks, so. Jillian P. <laughs> all right, last one. This is, this is really the hard-hitting question that you've been waiting for. What is your favorite Halloween candy? Well, I hate Halloween. Me too. Um, I'm sorry. I hate it. Oh I, my I God. I'm totally with you. <laughs> Me too. I, I say, why can't we just be ourselves? Why do we have to dress up like somebody else? This Me is too. what I think. So, uh, yeah. but I do like, I like all candy. So I have a bit of a candy addiction and this is a controversial answer, but I love candy corn. I do because Ooh. it comes once a year. I second that Kathleen. I love oh, candy good. corn. Yeah. Yeah. Candy corn. Come on. It's yep. only once a year. It's delicious. It's sweet. It has a little, little bit of mouth texture to it. Yes. Um, and it's, yeah. it looks fun. Who doesn't like candy yep. corn, but people hate it. There's a whole Facebook page on, I hate candy corn. <laughs> <laughs> there is. So. Unbelievable. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I, I mean, I like candy corn too. There's candy corn in our house all year round though, because my life, my wife is obsessed with candy corn. So oh, very, very much aligned. Yeah, Marbini, yeah. what is your favorite also, candy? Uh, candy. Yeah. I am a, uh, so I'm like a, I like starbursts and things like that. So okay. when I Chewy. You like, like mini Chewy? starburst package. Yeah. Like the, yeah, no, I'm not super sweet. I like the like tangy stuff better. What about you, Basil? Are you all candy corn or something? I, else? I'm not all candy corn. I love candy corn, but I think my candy bar of choice is a Milky way. 
Ooh, mm. nice oh, voice. yeah, that's a good so good. Yeah, with the creamy caramel yeah. and then that like nougat, whatever it's called. Nougat. What is it? Nougat. Nougat is right. Yeah. It's not, right. Yeah, nougat. You had it. Not nougat. No, I think she said Nugent, like Ted Nugent. Yeah, Nugent. Nugent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. All I know is that oh, it tastes man. good. I don't know how to say it, but it's good. You could be a Milky I'm Way also, commercial. Yeah. <laughs> there we go. New sponsorship. I'm so glad you said, you know, I, I always feel like such a weirdo for not liking Halloween. There's actually a Halloween contest in our office today. There's like people walking around in costumes and I just like, it's just not my thing for two reasons. One, I hate having to like, I agree with you. It's like, why can't you just be yourselves? Like, are uncomfortable there's like some and then growing up it's all for me it was always like oh you're redheaded super mario and i'm like nope i'm just super mario thanks for that though <laughs> i hated that when i was a kid oh my god i yeah, will say no. here's a, here's a halloween question do, do you call it what do you call it in your from your hometown when you go door to door and ask for candy what do you call it Trick I mean, or treating. Basel and I are going to have the same answer. We're like yeah. from almost the same place. It's it's trick or treating for us, yeah. So if you're from the Northeast, you call it Halloweening. What? We are from the Northeast. Yeah, for real. <laughs> we live, we grew up in Massachusetts. It's definitely trick or treating in Massachusetts. Okay, well, I grew up in like the New York Metro Pennsylvania area. We called it Halloweening. Are you going Halloweening this weekend? Everyone's going Halloweening. That's that some that Pennsylvania it? stuff, if yeah, I've ever heard. I was going to say, yeah. I've never heard <laughs> of that. They must. Yeah. But <laughs> now in Florida, school. like in Boca, are you, do the kids go trick or treating? No, in Florida, they go trunk or treating. What is that? Oh, it's yes. a thing. It's a thing like in the town where people have dogs and roll them in strollers. It's, it's this kind of a thing. So trunk or treating is when a group of people get together and they sort of back their cars into a circle and they open their trunks and it's full of candy. And then the kids can go from trunk to trunk. Uh, it's a safety, it's actually a safety thing. So trunk or treating has replaced trick or treating. Wow. It's like a tailgate for candy. Right. <laughs> it's kind of great. Learned two new That's things good. today. I've never, I've never heard <laughs> We're of teaching the kids young in Florida. Yeah. yeah, man. This is just oh, man. upping my Halloween knowledge significantly. <laughs> yeah, there we go. You're welcome, everybody. Right. Yeah, yeah. This is what you guys come to the Kickset Podcast for is to learn <laughs> all about Halloween traditions nationwide. <laughs> awesome well kathleen thank you very much for being here this is an awesome conversation we really appreciate it um and thank you of course for being a part of the national select camp staff um these camps would not happen or be the same without um folks like yourselves volunteering their time their expertise um and passion for it so thank you again for that and uh we really appreciate it and we will see you down the road somewhere soon thank you for having me it was super fun great to see you guys Thanks, Kathleen. You're the best. Thanks again to Kathleen Prindle. What an awesome conversation, Basil. That was uh, emanating and uh, it kind of inspiring. Like she's such a, her, her approach to everything and the way she thinks about uh, leading and inspiring and, and motivating athletes is really, I, I was ready to hop in and swim a 200 IM long course. <laughs> Same, I was like, right at the if, end. Is, is there an age limit to the national select <laughs> camp? Like, could I, can I go back? Like, and also too, just Kathleen as a person, yeah. um, and, and what she brings to the table is so much, but you would never know it. Like yeah. before we started recording, she was like, I don't want to talk about myself. I want to talk about the camp. I want to talk about the athletes. Um, and, and that's just a testament to who she is and why she's such a good coach, but an even better human being. So it's great that we have opportunities and a platform to talk to people like this, to hopefully inspire other coaches, athletes, parents, whoever it is within the swimming world to be more like that. Yep. And people like that are what make events like National Select Camp go. I mean, that event has value. Of course, there's USA Swimming staff that puts a ton of work in developing the programming, but execution-wise, it's almost all on the coaches. And we're super dependent on people that take ownership of it like she does, that see the value in it like she does, um, and really like drive home the messaging, especially on that culture piece, because like the you can get a lot of the value that you get from that camp in other areas without necessarily coming to the OPTC and, and doing that all, but learning what it means to be on Team USA and learning what it means to be a part of this system and that has produced athletes, you know, for the 
years and years and years. And, you know, somebody like you who can speak to the value of going through select camp and that being communicated to this next group of athletes is super important. And then for, for a lot of them, it really is coming from the coach and it's reinforced again by the coach. So I, I we're super grateful for all the coaches that participated in that, but especially for her, for helping so clearly describe why it's such an important event for us. Yeah. And then for them to bring that home to their club, I'm sure they're obviously reinvigorated themselves after participating in the camp, but then going home and sharing the stories with not just their teammates, but the coaches as well. Like it's, I feel like that would reignite an entire fire for the whole team. And it's just the fact that USA swimming has these camps is incredible. And hopefully those that listen to this were inspired to work a little bit harder, you know, now have a dream to go to national select camp or the zone camps or whatever it is, because it really is the pipeline. I mean, that was my first exposure to USA swimming and I made three Olympic teams. So it's, it works, you know, the conversion rate, like you were talking about Barbini, it's there. You want to be there. You want to be exposed to coaches like Kathleen and the staff like you. And it's just, it's an amazing thing to be a part of. And to have Kathleen there is obviously just icing on the cake. Yeah, for sure. And it's a step, you know, it's like you think about making an Olympic team and it's such a big goal and it's so far away, but a step along the way is something like select camp that is much more achievable. And then it really increases your odds of, I mean, being one in three that make the junior team is really, I mean, like we said earlier, there is no such place elsewhere in the system really where one in three people move on. Speaking of stepping stones, we are kind of on the precipice of a, a really exciting uh, time here at USA Swimming. Um, and Select Camp actually wasn't the only thing we had going um, in October. Uh, we released our club excellence rankings, our Scholastic All-American teams came out, um, and we have had numerous camps and webinars um, in the past, and then that will be coming up. Um, so make sure to check out uh, at USA Swimming Insider on Twitter for all of that information. Um, and then looking ahead, um, we have a couple of exciting events coming up, but the one I want to highlight first is uh, next week's Indie World Cup. Um, like we talked about earlier, this will be the first time in a really long time and the first time in my time at USA Swimming that we will host a World Cup meet on American soil. Uh, so the first two events um, or the first event in Berlin was really strong. And the second one is starting basically right now in Toronto. Um, so it'll be an awesome international field. Some athletes that we don't get to see swim short course meters all that often, and some athletes that will kind of preview what we're going to have, um, at short course worlds at the end of the year. Um, and then perhaps more excitingly to me, excitingly is not a word, but that is, uh, I'm going to use my English major creds and That's make okay. one up. I called Nugent, yeah. Nugent earlier, yeah, so yeah, it's you, fine. You, did, yeah, you thought we all get a Way had Ted, had Ted Nugent in the... <laughs> <laughs> um, so our next episode of this one, Basel, it's going to be our second time doing this in person. Um, we are going to do a red carpet show from New York at Golden Goggles. Yeah. And, and it'll be hard to live up to last year's. We had Mike Tarico on last year, <laughs> yeah. but we promise regardless of who we have on, it's going to be a great time as it always is. And Barbini, thanks for being the best host. Um, it's always a pleasure to be next to you and talk to these amazing people and have these very insightful conversations that hopefully help a lot of people and resonate yeah. with a lot of people. Cause that's why we're here. Basley, you're the best. The next time we do it, we'll be a little bit better dressed, but always fun. And uh, thanks as always for being a part of the team. Thanks, Barbini. All right. See everybody. Make sure to uh, rate, review, subscribe, all of that, wherever you get your podcast, And we will see you next month from New York. Thank you for listening to Kickset with USA Swimming. Head to usaswimming.org for more episodes and make sure you subscribe to Kickset wherever you get your podcasts.